0: Welcome to Required Listening. I'm your host, Scott Goldman, Executive Director of the Grammy Museum. Each week in the Clive Davis Theatre, I have the opportunity to speak with artists from across the musical spectrum about their influences, their inspirations, their struggles, and their creative process. With Required Listening, I'm excited to share these discussions with you. On today's episode, my conversation with the band Weezer. Drawing from the heavy pop of arena rockers like Cheap Trick and combining doses of 70s heavy metal from bands like Kiss, they became one of the most popular groups to emerge from the post-grunge scene. They infused their music with a quirky sense of humor that made songs from their debut album like Undone the Sweater Song, "Buddy Holly, and Say It Ain't So into big modern rock hits. Over two decades, The band has now released 11 albums and has become a vehicle for the imaginative songwriting of Rivers Cuomo. We got together after they released The White Album. The album is very much Weezer, channeling the sunniness of the Beach Boys through their own sardonic filter. Rivers has often acknowledged the Beach Boys' influence on his music, and we spent a good deal of time talking about the process of working with producer Jake Sinclair in making the record. It's not necessarily easy to remain a band after 20 years but these guys still express excitement about playing shows and a strong desire to continue to experiment with their music. So let's go to the Clive Davis Theater and listen to my conversation with Patrick Wilson, Brian Bell, Scott Schreiner, and Rivers Cuomo. Weezer. They're here tonight following the release of their 10th studio album, appropriately entitled The White Album. Give it up for Weezer. Alrighty then. Thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So the record's been described, and I'm going to let you guys kind of go into this a little bit, as, you know, Weezer at the beach. So you've been making records here in Los Angeles for 20 years or more. Uh, Why now a beach record?
1: Our, Our manager suggested that we hired a new manager, and first thing he said was, you guys should make a beach record. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> we live here. Yeah, we were we formed in Santa Monica. We've been here for 25 years, yeah. roughly. And uh, favorite, one of my favorite, uh, most influential bands for me is the Beach Boys. Uh-huh. What are we doing? What, what have we yeah. been doing all these years? Well, let's
0: go do that. Yeah. But, but you've said, and I want to get the band's reaction, too, that there's a dark side to the beach. Especially if you go down in my neighborhood in Venice, it's, you know, it can... <laughs> Hold on now. I like where I live, but um but but it can be a little bit ugly.
1: Yeah, well, for me there's pretty much a dark side wherever I am. Uh, <laughs> there's bright and dark. I like uh-huh. I like to mix it up. So, yeah. um, traditionally um I guess beach music is considered pretty bright and mm-hmm. happy, but I I always um appreciated in the Beach Boys there was uh some melancholy underneath it all, so I was very excited to do Weezer's take on the whole beach thing and see what we could find on the underside.
0: Yeah, and I think you did that. And the interesting thing is, so the critical response to this point has been very positive.
1: 71 on Metacritic.
0: Uh, (laughs) 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 Somehow I knew you were going to say that, and I needed to ask you about this. So, So you are very much engaged in sort of fan and critic reaction.
1: Um... I go through different phases. Yeah, um, I guess in recent years, I'm definitely paying attention. I, I, I wouldn't say the the cart is leading the horse, or I'm, I'm, we're not following them too much. Right. But I like to listen to everybody's opinion and take it all in for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and Patrick, I read something where, where you said you might have been in Europe or something. You were playing, and you realized that the record had made an impact because it had not been out that long, and fans were singing the lyrics back to you guys. That has
2: happened, yeah. So that's positive.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, is that, is that your best indication generally that, that people are picking up on it, that they're, they're singing I, it back to you?
2: I don't know. I don't, I don't listen to what people have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, but not really. Right, right.
0: right. Fair, fair enough.
1: Well, we've been touring all summer. Yeah. So uh, like three months. Yeah. And that's like every night you're in front of 10, 15,000 people. Sure. And that's kind of the only reality that matters so you really want those people to be singing your songs back to you. And if they're not, then you kind of go into panic mode and yeah. let's, you know, try let's try to do something better next time or let's mm-hmm. see if we can tweak the show. Your interaction
0: with your audience is such that on this record, I think you had solicited random beats from from listeners and audience members that that, that you would use.
1: <clears throat> on this album, uh, we didn't we didn't uh, involve the the audience, but I, I would get a hold of like uh, folders on hard drives of uh-huh. just tons of beats and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I'd go through those and see if anything kind of triggered something.
0: Mm-hmm. You worked with Jake Sinclair, and I want to ask you guys uh, about him, Jake, who I think you may have been introduced
1: to by brendan yuri was 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 that um, how you
0: got introduced to him?
1: That's not how we first met him. He was actually like the the engineer on a record we made in 2009 called Ratitude Mm -hmm. and he was just like this 23-year-old surfer kid and we didn't really think anything of him but then I I bumped into him about a year and a half ago and he was like all grown up, 30 years old, wearing a suit and a new haircut and he said he had his own studio so I went there and recorded a demo for the song California Kids Mm -hmm. which is the first song on the White Album and it sounded incredibly cool. So. We just thought let's get the whole band in here, see what happens, and yeah. next thing you know, the album's done.
0: It, it, two things about that. Number one, he was in—if I'm correct about this—he was in a Weezer cover band.
1: Yeah, he was. He uh, was in a, a Weezer cover band back in high school called Wanna Beezer. <laughs> that sounds so dark when you guys laugh like. That.
3: <laughs>
0: but it, it, so, if I understand correctly, and I, I want to get the the band in on this. You made a you rivers made a conscious decision not to micromanage the recording process. No, um,
1: <laughs> no, I'm wrong. Or yes, yes, or, or, or. <laughs> I, I, as a songwriter, my first instinct is always to micromanage, and you know I've learned from experience that that can actually do more harm than good. But it wasn't my idea this time around. It was actually Jake's, I think, or maybe even our managers. They're like. Um, Let's get Jake in with each of the band members one on one, so they have time to craft their parts without Rivers, you know, micromanaging. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they just kind of did it, and uh, then they they played the pretty much the finished product for me. And um, at that point, when I heard everything all together, it was like, oh yeah, this sounds incredible, cool.
0: So Scott, yeah, that's me. Hi, yeah, Yeah, hi. (laughs) What's going on? So in that in that process, where now you're off working with with Jake, you know, uh, uh, apart from anybody else in the band, how how
4: was that helpful? No, it was cool because Jake's an amazing bass player, and uh, I would play a bunch of stuff, and he'd be like, "Okay, that's cool. Let's remember that. That was super cool. Let's pick. Let's work on that." I'd play it a few times, and we'd go through, and he'd be like, "All right," and he would just kind of help me, you know, finish the kind of thoughts that I had because yeah. I never really play the same thing twice in a row i kind of come from that school where like every time we record it i'll do it a little different hmm. so but he really helped me like pick out the best parts and make little hooks out of them and and repeat these phrases so i don't know i, I think it's some of the some of the coolest base yeah that i've done i love yeah. working with jake he was really yeah. fun yeah
0: brian what do you what do you what the, the process for you how did that uh <laughs> how, how did that work i didn't mean to wake you up there but uh, <laughs> i had about 10 ideas uh
3: for each song maybe more, maybe more. and uh, I would just go through with Jake because I got this idea for this verse, like maybe five different ideas. And Jake was good at arranging those ideas uh, in, in kind of ways that I might not have thought of. So once we started on that kind of uh, working pattern, mm-hmm. it, would, it came really easy to do the rest. Uh, I think the first song we did was Thank God for Girls. And we both were in a lot of pressure on that one. He was under a lot of pressure to like kind of produce a hit for us, and uh, I was under pressure because of the first song of the record yeah. that I worked on, and uh, we got in a little f- argument, and it was one of those arguments that uh, makes the the relationship uh, stronger. Uh-huh. You know? There was what, apologies and you know that yeah. kind of thing.
0: What, was there a fair amount of that sort of push and pull between between you guys and Jake in terms of the direction maybe he wanted to take the band and where you thought you were going?
2: He was clear. He was like, We're gonna make my favorite Weezer record. Huh.
4: Right. Okay. Yeah, and then I'd be like, Hey, let's put let let's make this kind of crazy sound here and we'll do this. He's like, No. No. We're not doing that. Yeah. No, we want a bass guitar. And I was like, Come on, man, we've done bass guitar on every record. Like, let's try some different stuff. He's like, oh, maybe the next record. I think the argument I had with him was really important to
3: uh clear the air and, and like kind of let let all those anxieties yeah. rest and uh, then it came really easily and and all my ideas were put on there and uh, you know new vocal ideas came up we came up with things together and now we we have a very good working relationship but sure. it took it took a that m- kind of ugly
0: moment to get there hmm. uh, did, Rivers did, did you have some ugly moments with Jake
1: um I don't know. I guess I saw him as like the, the conservative force in the room. Like he, as a, he's just a super fan and he really wants it to sound like the records he heard in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum where I just want to storm into the future and try things I never tried before. Yeah. So it's good to have um, both forces in the room.
0: Yeah. I think you called and Brian was talking about Thank God for Girls. You've referred to that as pretty experimental. How, how, how so?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's an unusual groove, first of all, that mm-hmm. that feel to the song. It sounds nothing like what we would have done on the Blue Album or Pinkerton in the 90s. It's in a minor key, which is we almost never have songs in minor keys. Um, and then in the verse, um, kind of rapping, kind of talking. I don't know what it is, yeah. that thing. Um, and <laughs> it doesn't rhyme. Yeah. It's it's very stream of consciousness. It's hard to understand what I'm trying to say. I don't know. It seemed pretty, pretty unique to me.
0: Yeah. Did did you guys feel that that was kind of a departure? The Thank God for Girls? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean the reaction to it has been
3: positive. Yeah, lyrically it's really cool and uh it's fun to see people singing along and like are they going to know these lyrics about the popcorn and the uh, <laughs> all these <laughs> weird things <laughs> being said and they kind of do. Yeah. I'm fascinated.
1: Sometimes better than I do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you, I've I've read things where um, you've been on tour for a while here, and there's you know opportunities to give you particularly a break from singing every song during the set. Is that you know kind of helpful for you guys to break that up a little bit, so you're not necessarily carrying the load for the entire show?
1: Yeah, every day I would watch the the previous night's show on a video, mm-hmm. and um, the one thing that kept coming up is I like. As as a listener, as a viewer, I like to see a variety. I like to see things changing. Mm-hmm. So um, I would definitely encourage the guys to take over the spotlight for a minute. Come up with something, uh, a bass solo, or here, Brian, here's a light up guitar. Play a guitar solo by yourself. And, um, I just enjoy that as a viewer. Yeah. And yeah. It, and it does give me a, a break from right. my voice. Right.
0: How do you guys feel about stepping out, stepping out in front? How does how does that work for you? It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a little scary. It's not an ego thing. It
3: doesn't, really, uh, it doesn't matter if I'm singing the song or Scott's singing the song. Wherever Rivers is, that's where people are looking. Yeah. Except for this one show and this one person. I remember in, in uh, Portland, Oregon, this one girl about 12 years old, she would not, she, she locked eyes with me the whole time. Steady. Rivers was standing right here. And... Uh, it was a moment we had. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. Well. And, and I can tell you're still talking about it. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's the kind of energy that when you see these young people, like, getting into your music, that's what you're, why you do it, almost. It's an energy that, yeah. I'm sorry, but older people don't
0: have. <laughs> hey, we hey, don't. hey, watch yourself now. Watch Shetty. yourself. Somebody on this stage is old. Um, so... It's funny, you're talking about, you know, audience reaction, and, and one of the things that seems to be a constant for you guys is not necessarily wanting to alienate your audience in terms of kind of giving them music that maybe they would expect from you, but also continuing to push forward. Is that, is that kind of always an internal conflict?
1: Yeah. Yep, that's the conflict right there. Uh. <laughs>
2: I'm with it, man. I'm just pushing forward. I'm ready. Uh, you, it. You're not
0: as concerned with what goes on with the audience.
2: I feel like if we're having a lot of fun,
1: that will be reflected. So,
0: Well, one of the, I mean, one of the things that... that
1: and it's not just between yeah. us and the audience. It's yeah. between the four of us or sure. the four of us and the producer.
0: Well, one of, one of the things that, that you've mentioned is because of the relationship you have with your audience, which is kind of remarkably interactive, that they allow you to kind of take a step is that is that like the best place you could be as an artist
1: yeah i think so like um maybe radiohead has that seems mm-hmm. like um mm-hmm. their audience expects them to put out something they've like nothing they've ever done before which is pretty cool right
0: right right do you feel you have that that sort of latitude
1: i don't uh, i think that's pretty rare i don't know many artists that have that besides radiohead mm. So no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: we can do it, man. But Scott, <clears throat> I really like your glasses.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank Those you very super much. Cool. Thank
4: you. It's good to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. I like them. It's, it's important.
0: Um, so, so Rivers, one of the things I wanted to ask you about in, in reading some stuff for this interview, you maintain a rather kind of meticulous uh, spreadsheet, I guess, of lyric fragments song titles I mean even going so far as you know what a good first line would be and is, is this a place you always go to when you're writing songs or maybe just when when you're stuck
1: I'm just constantly changing and um I always think like I finally figured it out this is how I'm going to do it and then uh, you asked me a month later and it's something totally different but I do have uh, things that I come back to. Stock a stockpile of lyrics, and yes, now it's on a Google spreadsheet, and it's, it's every line is tagged so I can sort. Like uh, I'm looking for a first line that rhymes with Kate, and that has ten syllables. So and it's giant. I have thousands of lines now. So yeah. if I'm ever if you're ever stuck and you need a line, you can just. He's got them. I may call you up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in referring to this record, you said there was a
0: fair amount of kind of cutting and pasting. So, were you yeah. taking from that and sort of figuring out what fit
1: in in what sequence? Um, sometimes I would. Um, there's a song called "Summer Lane" and "Drunk Dory," mm-hmm. and I did a podcast called "Song Exploder" all about that song, and I, I talk um, in great detail about how all the pieces came together. So, in some cases, I would I would take some lines from that spreadsheet. And in other cases, I would go to my journals and find like a page of stream of consciousness about something that happened the day before, at my daughter's second grade graduation party, um, something like that. And um, maybe I might go to just some like story online, and or a, a book I had been reading, maybe uh, Ernest Hemingway, mm-hmm. and then I'd just start moving lines around and putting it all together until it tells a new story.
0: Yeah. There, much was made about your joining Tinder to, not in the ways that, that you might be thinking, but in an effort to, you know, spark some thinking about about songwriting, you know, feelings about, you know, meeting women or whatever it might be. And, and what I want to get the band's reaction because you've been doing this for two decades or so. You've got a family now, you've got kids. Things that matter to you now may be a little bit different than they were 20 years ago to to a certain degree. And I'm wondering if you guys start to bust him on if there are song ideas that maybe skew a little um shall we say old, old no. meaning, like uh like if we start about talking about family you know, things yeah yeah, things taking like the that. kids to you know to school for you know parent teacher conferences, I think I' bring that <laughs> up, don't I
2: yeah, did you write a lot of p t a songs I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... The, the, Brian will definitely, he helps me with the lyrics a lot if, I, if I'm if i going out into like an unrelatable right. topic. Um, right. But more often, I think I overcompensate and write things that sound too young. Hmm. And, you know, they'll nail me for that too. Yeah. It was interesting. I just wrote a song for the Monkees for their latest album. Yeah. And they're in their 70s. So um, it was the first time I wrote a song for someone and... I mean, I was writing naturally from a 45-year-old point of view and they sure. thought they thought it was too young sounding. So <laughs> I had to change it to make it even older. <laughs> older. Which, <laughs> that's usually that's they, people uh, other artists want me to write younger.
0: Yeah. yeah. So fair warning here. Eventually we're going to come to the house for some questions. So working with, working with Jake on, on this record, it's been out. The reaction has been really positive work with him again
1: well that's a big question right now ah. um
0: what, what, what's the what's the central issue
1: to that <laughs> <laughs> i'll work it, with jake it, i love Jake. We, we all love jake he's yeah. great yeah is is he too much of a weezer fan like 90s weezer I, fan I okay um is he the guy that can help us do something completely crazy mm-hmm. and different because mm-hmm. that's what we want to do. That's what you want to do. It yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah. seems to make him panicky when we start doing <laughs> stuff that's unweezer Yeah.
1: Although he did produce a song we just put out called I Love the USA, which is a, a very radical departure and sounds nothing like anything we've ever done before. So I think that was him saying, look, I can, I can be really different if you yeah. want.
0: So this record generally could be categorized as more of a classic Weezer record. And the next one is going to be something that would not necessarily be recognized as such.
1: I think that's a pretty safe bet. I mean, it's really hard to predict the future with Weezer. and yeah. But I, I, I hope that's where we're going.
4: Yeah, I think it'd be great. We all have a lot of ideas. We're all into some new sounds and new ways to make music. And sure. we're excited about doing something different. Yeah. So,
0: So, so you you guys
4: have been together
0: for you know a couple of decades, and you know I'm wondering at this you know at this point, what have you learned about being in a band?
2: Just to be nice, be nice to people. It's easy. Just be really nice. That's
0: good. It's harder than it sounds. Yeah. Well, well, in in the music business, that's not surprising. Be
3: respectful for everyone's talents. Uh huh. Yeah. That's pretty. Keep talking.
0: Keep talking. Yeah. yeah, communication. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, definitely, um, you know, together we're much greater than mm-hmm. apart. So, yeah. Luckily, we we haven't made the mistake of trying to go separate ways.
0: How do you think you you in particular have evolved as a, as a songwriter over, over time? Because you've clearly spent a lot of time thinking about it, looking at it, kind of analyzing it. How do you, how do you think you've evolved?
1: I guess um, I think one thing that's changed not just for me but for music in general is it's way more collaborative as far as songwriting goes. Mm -hmm. Um, My generation came up and it was all about like the great genius individual Kurt Cobain or whoever it is Mm -hmm. and you just hardly ever see that anymore. It's all about bringing different people together from different worlds and seeing what happens. Yeah.
0: and um you've been out with uh touring with Panic at the disco, yeah um who actually Brendan will be here on on Monday, and you uh, co-wrote uh victorious yeah um are you a different songwriter when you collaborate
1: are you are you someone mm, different no um I'm only at my best when I'm just kind of doing my thing being mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. and generally that's kind of what why another artist would come to me they don't want me to try to be like a um a hit writer so they just want something of, of what I'm doing. And oftentimes I'll present an idea that I had been working on for Weezer anyway. And that was the case with Victorious. Yeah. I had- Nice going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, usually it's like um, a song, a song I'm writing for Weezer and then it doesn't work for Weezer. So then I'll, yeah. somebody else will end up. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know Remember that song, uh, Magic by, um, with B.O.B. that I was yeah. trying to write a Weezer song. You guys get disappointed by that? We actually
2: recorded magic. Oh, there's a Weezer version. The the producer Jackknife Lee was like, "We're never doing this song." (laughs) (laughs) And that was the end of Jackknife Lee. Oh, we don't we don't get to. (laughs) I I I want to have as much success
4: as possible with with songwriting. There's plenty of songs to go around. To go around, yeah. Like, and I I, I'm super happy for any great song that makes it out there. Whoever's best, most ready to sing it, and it works out great. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, I keep going back to, to production a little bit because it's such an interesting co- collaboration between a band and, and, and a producer. You've worked with names who people would know, Rick O'Kasic or Rick Rubin. This process, I think you've all said, was remarkably fast. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if that was because of the working relationship with Jake or something else.
1: Yeah, it was definitely Jake. And our new managers, um, they just came in with tons of ideas and energy, and um, it's a, maybe it's a, a generational thing, too. Um, it's just the way younger producers are working now. It's, yeah. it's really fast, and it's fun and easy. and.
4: I don't know, it just seems like as the tour went on, we started trying little different things here and there in some of the older songs. Yeah. And Pat's kind of similar with me, where we'll rarely play the same thing two nights in a row, so... Right. I don't know, it still seems kind of exciting and a little bit dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Say It Ain't So has never felt old. What, why?
3: Because it's such a powerful, great song. Uh-huh. A song I think we'll play every time we ever
0: play a live show. Yeah. And, and I, I'm as I've, I've said throughout the interview, your interaction, your relationship with your fans is such that it seems like no matter you know how popular the song or how many times you've played it, it's exciting to continue kind of that dialogue with your, with your audiences. You guys feel that way? It's the energy of the crowd. It's the, the energy of youth. It's
3: something that uh, we're very lucky to experience in yeah. what we do. Yeah. And we still connect with, with youth. And I'm telling you, just nothing like it.
2: It's very ageist. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, I said before, we're going to take a couple questions from the house. Yes, right
2: here. Um, going back a little ways, but you guys did the uh, front-to-back show a couple of times with the Gibson, the Pinkerton, and the uh, Blue Album. It was a trend at that time. Everybody was doing it, mainly the older band. So what was your reason for doing those?
1: Um, anniversary. Well, anniversary.
2: It's kind of like 20-year anniversary of the Blue Elm.
1: Was? was it? <laughs> Maybe. No. Mm. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, there was some uh, yeah, there's something like that. I can't remember. Pinkerton. Well, we had a song, a song called, called Memories. Memories. Yeah, <laughs> I think that kind of sp- sparked it. No, I think Which it we was I don't um, remember. It was it was kind of the original idea was by popular demand and at first I was like uh you want us to go back and play more old songs, but as it turned out it, once we got into relearning and rehearsing all that stuff it was incredibly fun because they, in a way they're kind of new songs cuz we never get to play them um especially most of pinkerton it's like we did a few months of touring and then that in 96 and 97 and and that was it and then we never played those songs again for 13 14 years so it was it was incredibly fun to play them and they're they're such a good rock band type of songs
0: who else? Yes, in the back, right in front oh, of also, the board. Oh,
1: they were in were venues which were packed with people who of every word of those songs of those was So that was just like a dream come true for us um when we When we were touring, opening for No Doubt in 97, nobody knew those songs those songs, was really was <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, in Yeah,
0: the back go the back, go ahead. Uh, thanks, guys, for making a great record. It's not just like a- it's an
3: immediately great record. It has to grow on great records. So thanks for that.
0: Thank you for saying yeah. so. Thank you. Curious though, uh, with the whole kind of beach theme, have, have any of you guys uh, met or talked to either currently or in the past any of the Beach Boys?
1: No. Um, I think one time I tried to contact Brian Wilson through music business people and said, hey, if you'd ever like to write a song, that'd be awesome. And never heard back. And that's cool. Um, but Brian
3: and I, I uh, see, yeah, we pian- have a we have a connection with the Beach Boys. A piano teacher named Elmo Peeler, who also does string arrangements. So he was uh, the Beach Boys road tr- keyboardist. And, yeah, he was the touring musician who played all the Brian Wilson parts, and Brian Wilson didn't tour. So there's
1: our connection with. Yeah, he has the all the, huh. the keyboard transcriptions, and he came and taught them to me and Brian. Yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. Who else? Yes, right here. Lewis? Sorry, I'm bad. Right there. I just
4: want to say thanks for all the great albums. I know this is '94, and you guys are amazing. <clears throat> I look forward to all your new albums. Um, but I have a question for Brian. Um, the relationship album was so awesome. When if
3: you have another album coming out? I have another record finished. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks for saying so. When next coming time, out? Got time I don't for, know. for one or two more? Yes, sir. Right there. Yep. Yep.
3: I think big Weezer fans love uh, your last two records
4: a lot. And uh, I was wondering if there's any unreleased B-sides from the White Album.
1: Yeah, um, they're all coming out real soon, but we're not supposed to say how or when, but <laughs> yeah. Look for this them year. wherever. Yeah. Yeah. And they're incredible. <laughs> right there.
3: Uh, we went on the first Weezer cruise. Might we, might we get another?
1: Weezer cruise. What do you think? It, it came up again, and we decided not to do it.
2: But there's plenty of other cruises. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Maybe we could do something like it that's not at the sea, too. And on a boat, you know, somewhere else, something else.
0: Yeah, Weezer camp, that would yeah. be fun. Okay, we'll do camp. something cool. Go. Yeah. Okay, we got time for one. Yeah, by the soundboard. Okay,
2: this is a question, question. Uh, did you guys cut any records to tape?
0: Yeah, first yeah. three yeah. records.
3: First four, actually. Did no,
2: first...
0: Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Going to visual and like being able to micro edit your performances, does that affect the way your albums? That changed things? I think it's digital digital music can. all over the
3: world,
2: actually. It can totally. Yeah. We, yeah. I spent lots of time because I get all geeked up about the way things sound. We, we would flip between the tape and then Pro Tools back and forth. And and honestly, it, it wasn't, it was hardly any different because it was coming from tape going into tools. So it was like,
4: it was very close. And it seems like with Pro Tools, we could get everything really perfect, and we experimented with that, with everything being right on the kind of grid. And that then, like, we did that, and then a couple records later, we're like, "All right, let's." Especially with Rick Ocasek, we're like, "Just get in there and tear it up." He'd be like, "That was great." I was like, "Are you gonna move it around?" He's like, "No, I'm not really gonna move it around much." So then we would. I find that a lot more exciting sounding, personally. Yes, right there.
2: Okay, so Weird Al did a cover of Buddy uh, Holly.
1: And at first, it was proven that it wasn't. Why did you decide to pull from that? Where did you get this information? Yeah, I didn't ah. even know this. <laughs> this this is in nineteen ninety five, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I, was it called? I, it, I never approved it. it the It fir- was Buddy Holly. It was a polka rap song. <laughs> yeah, he I mean he doesn't have to get approval. He could just put it out. Um, but he's in, a really good guy, and he and he sent it to me and said, "Would you be cool if I put this out?" And I listened to it. And it was a medley of the current alternative hits, like I remember Nine Inch Nails was on there, but done kind of polka style, and they were all incredibly funny. And then suddenly he starts playing Buddy Holly, and it was—it just sounded like Buddy Holly. It wasn't remotely funny. So I was like, I don't think that's really funny. So um, probably shouldn't put it out. In retrospect, who cares? Just put it out. So if you're listening, Weird Al, go ahead and put it go out.
0: Go ahead and put it out. All right. <laughs> So um, on, on, on this tour, I read something about that you developed a computer program to generate
1: randomized set lists. I, w- I want to.
0: Yeah. But you um, haven't done that yet.
1: I'm taking a computer science class now, uh-huh. um, CS50, uh, through Harvard. It's the most popular on- online class in the world. It's really incredible. Yeah, um, but I haven't yet learned how to make a automatic setlist generator.
0: Uh, okay. Well, we're, we'll we'll
3: we'll save that question for 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 when that happens. We used to okay. use Dungeons and Dragon dice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that, I I understand That's there were a number of different random. ways that you yeah. generated set lists.
3: And each song had a big. If it was a hit song, it had a more of a higher chance of being in the set. It was weighted than, than a yeah.
1: <laughs> a lesser we known song.
4: <laughs> how did that turn out?
1: We had some pretty crazy songs. No, we had some really <laughs> weird shows. Yeah.
4: But if it's exciting, because it'd be like, oh, oh man, Any we have to learn that was, song. We'd be like backstage, we had, we had like, how does this go? Me and Brian would be like, wait, no, 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 it's like this. Like, yeah, get yeah. off the record. I don't know. I like stuff like that. It's exciting.
0: <laughs> well, um, a lot of
4: downtime uh,
3: people don't, I think, realize from sound check to the show. Like, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs for a lot of it. And um, <clears throat> it's nice to actually have something to intellectually do. And then if it's to learn a song before, it's kind of... Makes the time go by faster, at least. Sure.
0: Well, um, first of all, thank you guys for not only coming but putting up with a slight fire drill in the middle of the Q and A. It's awfully thoughtful of you. So, ladies and gentlemen, Weezer. Thank, thank you. you. That was my conversation with Weezer. Have a listen to their latest album, Pacific Daydream, and decide for yourself if they've pushed themselves in a new direction. And that's your required listening for today. We're coming to you with fresh episodes every Thursday. We're on all the socials at Grammy Museum. If you're coming to Los Angeles, I do hope you'll come see us, perhaps even join us for a future program. All the info is at our website, GrammyMuseum.org. Many thanks to the team that makes this podcast happen Jason James, Justin Joseph, Jim Canella, Lynn Sheridan, Miranda Moore, Callie Weissman, Len Brown, Michael Rohrbacher, Jason Hoke, Chandler Mays, Nick Stump, and everyone at How Stuff Works. For required listening, I'm Scott Goldman.